Welcome back, listeners, to an amazing episode of Whisper in the Wings. We have an incredible guest with us today. We have the playwright of a new work called The Nosebleed, Aya Ogawa, joining us. Aya, thank you so much for coming on our show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, I, we just saw your show. It's phenomenal, and I'm so excited to have you here to talk about it, uh, to talk about yourself. Um, it, it was such an amazing show to see, especially given all my circumstances. But why don't you go ahead and tell us a bit about your show? Yeah, so um, the play is called The Nosebleed, and it is essentially um, my journey in reconciling my very difficult relationship with my father. It's an autobiographical play. Um, And the fact that I never held a, um, I never honored his life uh, when he passed away 15 years ago. And I used the play itself to create um, essentially a memorial service for him with the help of the audience. So that's, that's what the play is in a nutshell. Um, I wrote it. I'm also directing it and I'm also performing in it. (laughs) Many hats, many hats. Yes. So where did you come up with the idea to like, what inspired you to, to, to finally write this? Yeah, that's, it's such an interesting um, story because I never imagined that I would write an autobiographical play. I never, I had not even thought about my father for a good decade. Um, I never thought I would be writing about him. Um, But what happened was in 2016, after the presidential election that year, um, I found myself and I found my community just reeling um, from from what happened and in this place of feeling so much distress and so much fracture and questioning our realities. Like, is this, like, is this the country we thought we were living in? Is this the city Mm -hmm. we thought we were living in? Like what the heck is going on? You know, had we just severely underestimated or, or just like, misperceived the world that we thought we lived in. And in my work, um, I was scheduled to start development on a new play and I didn't have, I I was going into a rehearsal process, not knowing much about this piece. I had no characters in mind. I had no storylines in mind. All I knew was that I wanted to explore failure very broadly, the theme of failure um, and so over the course of three months, I held open rehearsal sessions. Um, I invited whoever wanted to come within um, my circle of collaborators that included actors and other playwrights and designers and, and people who weren't involved in the theater at all, but were, were other kinds of uh, artists in different disciplines. And with this kind of rotating uh, room of collaborators, we just started by sharing our failure stories with each other. And as this went on over time, I started collecting, 
collecting these failure stories and with their permission, with my collaborators' permission, we started to experiment with them. Um, so for example, by displacing the storyteller from the story itself, kind of casting other people as uh, the narrator, uh, the narrator self versus the self inside the story and then fracturing it even further. So there would be like a present self talking back at a past self. Mm -hmm. um, and so we developed a kind of really fun experimentation around these stories and the storytelling techniques. Um, we also had ways to kind of involve the audience in a very intimate way. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, in one in a very early iteration of the project, uh, the audience would come in, they wouldn't be able to tell who was an audience member who was and who was a performer. And we would start the performance um, and sometimes audience members were given text to read to another audience member. Um, and so they were involved in that way. And in that iteration of the of that pro of the project, which at the time we called uh, Failure Sandwich, um, nothing was scripted. So we had a body of failure stories, and everyone had it in their minds. But in the moment of retelling these stories, the performers had to kind of pull it out of themselves. It wasn't a memorized script. So there was a real feeling of. Um, rawness of extemporaneousness um, that kept the piece very immediate. Mm -hmm. And what all of these structures and all this experimentation led to was creating a space that was very vulnerable, very intimate, um, and opened a way towards a radical kind of empathy. Um, and healing, and that's what I wanted this piece, play, this piece to be about um, in the aftermath of 2016, a, a place for gathering, a place for healing. Um, and so in that sense, I was very happy to arrive at that place to understand what the goal of the piece was. Um, and then the, the problem, though, was with that structure um, was that the audience would go through a very kind of, you know, very vulnerable process and leave the performance with a couple of questions around the authenticity and the veracity of the stories. They would be like, you know, sometimes the, the, the owner of the story wouldn't have been in the room just because of the schedule or whatever. And they would be like, that story that you told about so-and-so, is it true? Is that a true story? Um, or was that a fictitious story? Mm -hmm. um, so this question around authenticity really bothered me because, um, because I, would, I announced every time I, we would tell a story that this was a true story or this was a fictitious story. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, you know, the audience kept getting hung up on this question of authenticity. And in order to remove that layer of questioning because to me it was not a helpful thing for the audience to be worried about that i decided that uh you know the way i could take responsibility for that was to 
center the piece around my own failure story. And that way, you know, I, as a person responsible for calling the space into being, would be there to say, this is a true story. This is about my life. Um, and and thereby alleviate the that line of questioning from the audience. And it also kind of forced me to put my own skin in the game, so to speak. Um, because up until that moment, um, when I was pivoting, I, I hadn't really given a lot of thought to what my own failure story might be. Um, and so I went into a kind of reflection process of trying to identify what I would consider a great failure in my life. Um, and chronicling that journey was essentially, you know, led to me writing the play um, in, in the form that you saw it. And I love that you mentioned vulnerability, um, not just for, for your cast, but for the audience. Um, cause one thing that kind of took me aback at when your show started, you st I mean, I, I didn't feel like we eased into anything. You started by announcing this is a play about my, my biggest mistake, my biggest failure. And as the cast comes in, then you open it up to the audience and you ask someone to share that. And I was like, hold on, wait, what? And all of a sudden I literally could feel the audience's guard get let down and Though the fourth wall like existed, it didn't exist. It felt like we were all one big group and 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 the love you know normally you feel the audience cheering on, you can feel that energy. It was on a whole nother level sitting oh. in the audience, and I was like, I've never had this kind of experience and I do remember also at one point, I don't know why my mind wandered, but I looked up and I noticed the house lights were not off, and I was like. This is so cool because we're watching them, but they can also see us. Like it, I, I felt we were as much of a performer as you guys were. And it, it just made the experience so much more whole and personal. Mm. And it felt like on both sides of that. And so it, we got to share, we, we all got that collective sharing. And, and, and so though it might've been your story of a failure, I, I think we also, feel like we had like as you said skin in the game if that makes mm. sense you yeah. made it part of our lives too and, and we walked away and i like that you went back to the the um the truthfulness of it because i'd never even thought of that someone coming up and being like was that true because i've never i've never questioned something when someone tells me on stage this is true i'm just like wow maybe we shouldn't pry into something like that <laughs> you know but right right that, yeah that was a whole nother level for me so that i love knowing that that's how you arrived there and Mm. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I love that you picked up on all of those things because all, you know, we really wanted to, or like I really wanted to preserve that feeling of, you know, we are always in one, we're, ne we're never pretending to be somewhere where we're not, you know, we don't have like a set that takes us into, you know, some fantastical place or a different time or anything like right. that. We're like, we're here you're here, you yep. see us, we see you, and we're going to take this journey together from this moment, you know. Um, and that was really important to me to kind of like center ourselves, center ourselves and the audience in the present moment. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm glad that that was your experience of the play because that was like very important to me that we 
deserve that. Please listen carefully. message or thought do you hope the audiences will will take away from the show when they leave yeah i mean you know i think that everyone is going to have a different way into the piece i think they're going to have different responses um there are going to be people whose own lives really resonate whether they had a very difficult relationship with their father themselves but <clears throat> i really feel like the the common threads here are around you know cultural and generational differences between yourself and your parents and whether your parent is alive or dead um that there's a kind of reflection uh, about that gap and an acknowledgement of that um and hopefully gives the audience some space to reflect on it. I mean, yesterday there was a woman who came to see the show and she was like, you know, thank you so much for the play. It was really beautiful. Now I'm going to go home and call my dad. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was really lovely too. Um, so yeah, I think th that there are going to be different resonances for people and um, yeah, my, my greatest hope is for the audience to, find their own kind of space of vulnerability and space for reflection around their own personal relationships. I love that. That's, that is a fabulous response. I love it. And going along with that, if I could, um, who do you hope have access to the show? Yeah. So this is a really interesting thing that I'm learning. Um, like this play, uh, I, I had the I was very fortunate to be able to develop it during an artist resident residency that I had at the Brooklyn Arts Exchange and so we had you know in its current form we had a very rough um like workshop showing of it in 2018 and then I had the opportunity to show it um at the public theater in New York uh as part of the Under the Radar Festival in 2019 mm -hmm. um and then the technical like world premiere production occurred just this past fall of 2021 at the Japan Society uh, in co-production, uh, co-presentation with the Chocolate Factory Theater. So we've had a number of times we've been able to present the work <clears throat> and it has always kind of been for like the downtown theater, experimental theater audience. It's been for um folks who are you know um have some kind of relationship with japanese culture um through the connection with the japan society and now to be at lct3 lincoln center theater um it's it's such a privilege first of all to be able to run the show for so long you know we have i think 50 performances total which is amazing um and also just to be able to reach such a much wider range of folks, you know, um, I think generally 
speaking, the Lincoln Center audience tends to be a little older than, you know, are the typical downtown crowd. And it's wonderful to be able to see um, how the play resonates, you know, across generations, across cultures. Yeah. Um, and we're also able to, you know, get that uh, Japanese American or Japanese expatriate or Asian American folks in the space. Um, I really love that um, because I, I think that it really resonates in a, you know, just a, a kind of a different, with a different sense of immediacy with, with people who have um, really lived in quite a literal way, the same kinds of generational and cultural gaps with their parents. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm just happy that uh, to share the work with a wide range of audiences. And I think that um, there's something for everyone. Amazing. Now you kind of answered my last question in this segment uh, already, but I just wanted to go over it, which was, has this been performed in the past of so where, so you mentioned the Brooklyn arts exchange in 2018, the public theaters under the radar 2019 and then the Chocolate Factory Theater, along with the Japan Society in 2021. Um, was it, has it been done anywhere else or just those three places now LCT3? Yeah, that's, um, that's all the entirety of the production. Oh, actually, um, now that I think of it, I did have, um, there's, there's a community building organization in Boston called The Jar. And so that must have been the fall of 2018. They invited me up there to do a staged reading of the play. And the reason I was excited about that opportunity was, um, you know, the play was already scripted. Like I was done with the writing process of it, but that mm -hmm. theater or, you know, it's not really even a theater, it's that community organization, um, their, their uh, mission is not to center the art, but to use art as a catalyst for gathering and nurturing community and um, kind of provoking um, intercultural conversations within the Boston oh. area. And so I just loved that mission um, because I think that great art, the function of great art is to um, facilitate connection amongst people um, and across communities. So I was really, really happy um, to be a part of that um, that organization and to kind of instigate conversation um, there in Boston. Uh, and then after this run at LCT3, the play will be going uh, next spring. Um, in April 2023, we'll be at uh, Woolly Mammoth Theater in Washington, D.C. That's amazing! So 
On our show, we not only talk about, obviously, you know, uh, works or, or how they came to be, but we also like to know people's personal experience in the theater and how they came into the world and whatnot. So uh, if, you, if it's okay, I'd like to go ahead and ask you a little bit about you personally and, and, and your experience in the theater. Um, sure. And I want to kind of kick it off by what shows in the past have inspired you or, or that you love and even broaden it to what um, playwrights or composers maybe as well. Um, you know, simple little question to kick things off. <laughs> yeah, that's actually like a really difficult question. I mean, I think this might happen to other artists, but when you're kind of embedded in a particular field or a discipline, it's hard to see shows without that kind of critical mind, you oh know? Gosh, yes. <laughs> so, um, and it really like, I mean, I see a lot of shows, but it's, it's very hard for me to, to see shows without that layer of it. And also it makes it very hard for me to enjoy plays on a very simple and pure level. Um, and so I feel like the things that I've, that I kind of cling on to to find inspiration are works that are not necessarily in the theater. Um, so I, I love the work of Linda Berry, who is a graphic novelist and um, illustrator. Um, I also like to go see dance when I can. Um, mm. They're the most um, memorable uh, dance performances I ever see I've ever seen this might almost be like 20 years ago maybe 15 years ago um, but there's a, a choreographer a very famous choreographer named Erie Killian um, who runs the Nether Netherlands Dance Theater Company and I they came to BAM and um, they I, they had a piece there I can't remember the title of it but it was just it was so shocking this dance piece that I was simultaneously screaming and crying and laughing all at once in the theater. And that had not quite happened before. Wow. Um, yeah. Such a visceral kind of reaction that it ha has really stayed with me. Um, and also there was a production of, um, it was called Rehearsal Hamlet by a Brazilian theater company directed by Enrique Diaz. This was also probably 20 years ago um, at Under the Radar, which just was so delightful and surprising and fresh um, and freeing um, that I, I've always, um, that just is emblazoned in my memory. Um, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm always looking for something that is just like surprising in some way. Which I think theater should do. I mean, it shouldn't just move you and start a conversation or something, but it should surprise you and catch you off guard. That is one of the best things. You, you go for a, a – if you're not feeling something – Someone on one end is not doing their job because you don't go to the theater just to be put to sleep. Right. So, I really wish I could have seen that dance performance because I'm with you on that where I'm like, oh, I could see a good dance performance. And mm -hmm. in fact, I remember um, 
we were talking about the show Paradise Square, which I just adored. And mm. I said, it's been a while since I've seen choreography in a musical that I actually, there, it, it is a language that okay. I actually can understand that they're, what they're saying. There, there's language to it. Um, and it was beautiful. And I was like, I forgot how, what this felt like. Like, it's been a while, you know. So I just, I love seeing those performances that just, oh. Oh, I'm so glad performing arts are back. <laughs> yes, yes, I know. So have you seen any great theater lately that you would recommend to our listeners? Um, oh, my gosh. Well, I think one of the last things I saw, you know, right before rehearsal started for The Nosebleed, I was like, I'm not going to be able to see things for a while, so let me go out and I'm going to see something every single night. And... Um, one of the things that I saw was, when I have to pull it up. It was at New York Theater Workshop. Um, was it the Zen? Um, yeah, Zen Zil. Yeah, yeah. Did you see it? I didn't get to see it, but my really good friends did, and they said it was good. Um, but I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, it's called Dreaming Zen Zen Zil. Yeah. And it was just like the performances in that show were just mind blowing. Uh, and I, I was like, I can't believe that they do this every single day. Like those singer actors were just yeah. phenomenal. Um, and the music was fantastic. Um, I also saw my friend who's a choreographer, her name is Nami Yamamoto. She had a piece called, um, Trooper's brother or something like that. It, and it, it was a, she was tracking um, her journey through a breast cancer diagnosis through dance. And mm. it was so, um, it was whimsical. It was uh, devastating and, and also just really funny and, um, and I, I really hope that she's able to bring it back again. You know, these dance performances usually are, are have such short runs. Yeah. Uh, so it's hard to kind of like see something and then recommend it and have other people see it right away. Right. Um, but I just, I've tracked that piece in a couple of, um, over its development and just really uh, have loved it. Hopefully your friend's doing okay too. Yeah, yeah. I, I I believe she is. I haven't um I I just connected her with her um regarding her piece and, and didn't get into um her health, but but she was performing in it. So um, That's a good sign. That's a good yeah, thing. I believe that she's well. Well what is your favorite part about working in the theater? Um so I do a lot of things in the theater, um and I think the reason I play so many roles, you know, is, is because I just love being in the rehearsal room and collaborating with people. Um, I think I, if I were just a playwright kind of writing in isolation and, you know, sending my script out, I, I would, <laughs> I would be really depressed. Um, Fair. <laughs> and, you know, that's part of the reason why I, um, yeah, like my background is really as a performer and I went from being a performer to 
writing and then directing my own writing. And to me, it, it all feels like an organic journey. Um, and I just, the relationships that I build with my performers is really important to me. And, you know, to be able to create a rehearsal space uh, to develop a piece um, with deep trust um, in each other is really important to me. So um, that's, that's the part that I, I love the most, the collaborative part of it, because, you know, this is an art form that is inherently collaborative. We mm -hmm. can't do it ourselves. So. Which is also why the pandemic I think hit us so hard is everyone's like, well, you guys could just do zoom. And I'm like, you don't understand. Uh, it doesn't work that way. And we have to be in the same room and no. Very true. <laughs> Very true. Well, to wrap things up, um, I'd like to ask, what is your favorite theater memory? Oh, wow. Or theater memories? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's so tough. Um, <clears throat> oh, wow. I mean, there are a lot of good memories. There are a lot of bad memories, too. You know, it's, <laughs> I feel like, the strongest kind of friendships and relationships that I've forged in the theater um, come out of like, you know, it's like that feeling where like we went through a war together, like we survived <laughs> something together, you know, but those, not, those aren't necessarily like the best memories per se. Um, gosh, there's so many. I mean, even just with the nosebleed, um, we have, we have so many memories that we've shared together and um, just funny backstage stories about, you know, like someone overcoming a, you know, anxiety attack or, you know, to be able to like perform the show and how we got through it, those kinds of things. Um, it's really hard for me to identify a single story though. Um, I think that, you know, the the reason I went into theater, um, aside from like being drawn to it as a high school student was in large part the encouragement of my high school drama teacher who mm. just was, um, you know, she she was a really special and spectacular person because she wasn't just teaching us like how to act or how to design or, you know, that kind of stuff. She was like teaching us how to be human beings really like, and, mm. and treating us uh, as young adults and giving us agency. And whenever people ask me, you know, who, who is my kind of artistic hero or, you know, who do I look up to? I, I really think back on her, um, Rosamond Goodrich Sanitas, who, is no longer with us in the plane of the living, but um, what she gave to me and I'm sure countless other of her students was this kind of, um, 
she gave us power to, you know, like have, feel empowered to take agency um, over our lives and how we express ourselves in our lives and how we treat other people. And that has really stayed with me um, through my entire career. So I would, I would say her. Thank you to Roz. Yes. Thank you to teachers. We love teachers. So we talked about um, just wrapping this up. We talked about um, the nosebleeds going on to Woolly Mammoth Theater in Washington, D.C. in April of next year. Are there any other productions or plays that you are involved in that you can talk about coming down the pipeline after this, or is it just the one next April? Yeah, I have um, a couple of projects that are in development. Um, uh, Saori Tsukada, who is in The Nosebleed, um, she's the a tall uh, Japanese-American woman who plays, um, well, a lot of different characters, but including Mary Nina, the mortuary director, the funeral <laughs> director. Um, she has, She and I have been you know, working together for 20 years. Um, and we are creating um, an adaptation of Kafka's Metamorphosis uh, for her to perform with another musician. So that hopefully um, we have a number of development uh, times set up uh, over the next six months. And we're hoping to premiere it in 2023. Um, I'm also have been in development on a show called Meat Suit, which is the, the, the subtitle for that is the shit show of motherhood. And that is <laughs> an, an, an ensemble show um, about the experiences of motherhood. Um, and that hopefully, I mean, you know, the pandemic kind of screwed up the time frame for all of my projects. So we're just, I'm just trying to like get through one at a time. So hopefully over the next year or two, um, that one will be ready to go also. I feel like I've heard of Meat Suit. Has that been around or is it brand new? Um, it's new, it's brand new. We, we've had a couple of um, uh, development workshop processes of it, but nothing public yet, so. Okay, I don't know why that, that title, Meat Suit, The Shit Show of Motherhood, for some reason you said it and I had that like, Wait, I think I've seen that somewhere. How have I? Huh? Well, it might have been in my bio at, at Lincoln Center. That might have been it. I, or I wonder if I knew someone else who's on the creative. I'm going to have to look back now. When I get back home, I'm going to have to do some digging around. This is, I'm going to laugh if I've talked to someone else who's on the creative team with you. Oh, That yeah. would be funny to be like, okay, small world. Right. Um, well, the final thing I wanted to ask you is, um, you know, uh, if our listeners wanted to get more information about the nosebleed, um, how can, where can they find it? Uh, or if they want to get more information about you, how can they find that? How can they get in contact with you? What's yeah. Um, so the current run of the nosebleed at Lincoln Center Theater, it goes till the end of August. So if you just Google Lincoln, Lincoln Center Theater, it should pop right up. Um, the information is also on my own website, which is ayaogawa.com, A-Y-A-O-G-A-W-A.com. Perfect. Well, Aya, thank you so much for joining us today. It, seriously, it's been such an honor to speak with you. 
um, especially about this incredible work, um, this healing work, this this work that I this show that has been nothing like nothing else I've seen. I really it was amazing. Like I'm hoping to actually bring my mom to it. She'll be out in a few Aww. weeks. I think she'll be she will absolutely love it. Um, and, and hopefully more family and friends will come to see it. Uh, listeners, if you'd like to see The Nosebleed uh, by our guest, Aya Ogawa, it's playing currently at Lincoln Center Theater at their LCT3 Theater till the end of August. Uh, you can get tickets and more information at lct.org or at Aya's website, ayaogawa.com. And we're going to have all this information that we just went over posted on our social media as well as the information from this episode. So thank you again, Aya, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you, Andrew. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez, reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on, and keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar, Benji Menji, and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you'll find all the information about our backstage pass. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you. <laughs>